Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. is up wizards fans welcome to another believe in wizards podcast i'm your host matt moderno speaking of host we are getting a new co-host should be next week i believe is sort of what we've tentatively scheduled no one has guessed who that person is so you're running out of opportunities to do that uh so you know submit a guest via itunes uh review and and let us know if you think you have an idea of who the new uh, host is going to be and we'll get you some swag in the meantime, uh, the Wizards have lost two close games, as we've talked about, uh, that they were up 20 plus points in. And they've also just kind of gotten curb stumped by the Cavs, which was disappointing and lackluster and all those other words you could throw out there that kind of encapsulate uh, everybody's feeling watching them not really even show up to play that game, it felt like. Uh, I've definitely put my stash of stateside vodka to good use. Uh, they have these little iced tea vodka combo things, or there's even Arnold Palmer's or just iced um, vodka lemonade combos called Surfsides. They're terrific. That got me through that Cavs game. I had to watch it after real time. So I was up very late and very sad because I knew the outcome and I'm still watching it just to be prepared to do this show. But at least I had my uh, my drinks to keep me company. And I got to tell you, after watching that game, I just don't want to talk about it. I'm assuming none of you want to talk about it. There's really no takeaway there. They were just flat and listless. And yeah, there's just not that much um, of meaningful takeaway, I think, at this point. Hopefully they can do something at the trade deadline to shake things up. You know, once they're playing real teams that actually want to win, they kind of revert back to what they are. And that's just a, a play-in caliber team. So I just want to talk about something that makes me happy today, and that's the NBA draft. So joining me is going to be Raphael Barlow of NBA Big Board, uh, the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, and NBA Draft Junkies. He's awesome. If you don't follow his coverage of the draft and you like draft stuff, you are clearly missing out because he's just really, the content's accessible, but it's also really insightful and he's well-sourced and and got a good connection. So it's coming from more than just his opinion, but he's also a good evaluator in his own right. So you get a really good blend of where guys should actually go. And then just, he doesn't kind of subscribe to groupthink. It's not just, oh, everyone else's big board has this guy seventh. So I'll have him somewhere between six and eight. It's he's not afraid to go out on a limb, which I really appreciate. So I think that'll lead to a really good conversation here today. Again, it's just going to talk draft. The Wizards, if uh, the season ended today, would be sixth in terms of lottery odds. So they could go up, they could go down a little bit, realistically, um, somewhere in kind of the mid to late lottery seems realistic. They've got a weak schedule. So uh, nothing to say that they couldn't go on a run here and actually make the playoffs or at least make the play in, have a shot at the playoffs. But again, if the season ended today, they would be around six-ish, give or take. And 
I don't know. I think there's also just as realistic a shot that they make the play in and then lose those games and end up with, uh, you know, outside the lottery or end up outside the playoffs and end up in the lottery, which means they would keep their pick. Some of you were listening to this and saying, well, if they make the playoffs, they lose their pick. So why do we care about the draft? This is a very big draft and the Wizards will have some guys that are people they could probably move on from in the offseason. So I would very much expect that they could trade into this draft. And I think there's also a draft where you could get a really good player in the early second round. Wizards own the Chicago Bulls second round pick this year. Currently, that's somewhere to be either late thir- uh, late 30s, I would say, or early 40s. So they're still going to meaningful player, I think, with that second round pick, assuming you have a good uh, evaluator of talent on your staff somewhere, which I don't know, our second round pick uh, tenure of late doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence. In that. Anyway, we'll get into it with Raphael here in a minute. Uh, but first, just a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, uh, like I said, let's get to our conversation with Raphael Barlow of NBA Big Board. All right, I'm super pleased to be joined by my go-to source for everything NBA draft-related, Raphael Barlow. Thanks, man, for coming on. How you doing? I'm good, man. It's, it's good to be back on. I think last time we saw each other, uh, probably sp- spoken verbally, was, was yeah. at Summer League, and that was pretty fun. Um we were watching a Wizards game and you weren't too pleased with the <laughs> with what was going on on the court. I do want to get to that a little bit because the uh, the person in question there um, still struggling. Uh, I don't know, six, eight months later, whatever that is. But uh, let's start on a more upbeat note, I guess, or maybe more depressing note since they're trying to win. But if the season ended today, uh, ended today the Wizards would have the six best odds in the uh, lottery right now, which I think they'll, I don't know put a little run on here maybe and end up late lottery if they keep their lottery pick so kind of asking you about some guys maybe toward the later end of the lottery but Wizards fans especially seem to have latched on to the idea that of either Anthony Black Keontae George or Kaysen Wallace those are probably the three names I've heard the most I was wondering if you could kind of enlighten us on those three guys a little bit I know you've seen uh, plenty of all three of them so yeah so ironically they all are Dallas Dallas guys I mean Dallas is made up with so many different suburbs but there are pretty much dallas metroplex guys and what what makes my story a little bit interesting and unique and i actually did a post on it a few months back was i think it was like 2015 a friend of mine had a son that was playing basketball he wanted me to film some games i'm a videographer mm-hmm. so i'm filming these fourth graders just you know to make 100 bucks a weekend 200 bucks a weekend or whatever and uh, I remember just seeing how competitive these games were. And the parents were intense. And there were a couple kids that I was like, these guys are going to be good. I wrote their names down in my phone or typed it in my phone, but not thinking like NBA draft. I'm not going to yeah. give myself credit like 2023 <laughs> NBA draft. I discovered them in elementary school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the team I was filming for had Casey Wallace on the team. And so I have, I don't know, 10, 15 games of him as a fourth grader. And then um, when I went back to watch some of the film this summer, I'm watching, oh, wow, that's Keontae George. <laughs> or that's Mark Mitchell from Duke. Um, 
you know, other guys, I don't, I think Black was in one of the videos because he played for the same team from uh, probably like his whole career in a sense. Mm. So, yeah, I'm familiar with the guys. Um, I know uh, Kaysen has an older brother um, that's playing in the G League for the, the Clippers team. I um, He was a teammate of a guy that my brother travels. So I, I follow the guys a lot. I'm actually you got some ties um, there. Yeah. yeah, I'm friends with, I, I haven't met Anthony, but I'm friends with his dad. Oh, um, cool. His dad yeah. is Terry Black, who played at Baylor. Mm-hmm. And um, and Keontae, I've watched him a few times. You can say I'm friends with his mom. And I'm actually friends with his dad, too. So it's a small basketball world in Dallas, but I'm pretty familiar with with the guys. And it's interesting because they're all guards. And some say that they think all could be point guards, but they mm-hmm. all have totally different games and totally different things that they bring to the table. So it's an interesting mix. But... I think Washington could use any one of them. Yeah, we'll take talent wherever we can get it. We shouldn't really be choosy at this point. Uh, yeah. If if you had to kind of make a, I don't know, a quick elevator speech for one of the three of those guys on like why they would be kind of the better of the three options for Washington, uh, any anyone stand out above the rest as sort of making the most sense for assuming this Wizards team kind of stays as currently constructed? I think if it stays the same... Well, I think Keontae George is the best of the three. Mm-hmm. I think he has the most star potential. Ironically, when I first saw him play, one of my comparisons was Bill. Yeah. Um, because I thought he was um a two, but he's shown a little bit of the ability to maybe play some point. I don't know if it's gonna be his his position early in his career, mm-hmm. but I, I think there are some flashes there. And then when you look at Bill when he was a rookie, he didn't hardly do anything as far as like pick and roll and, and ball handling stuff. And he's just added on to his game. So I think there is a chance that Keontae could have a same type developmental curve. And then Kaysen is the guy that whenever I've done mocks, he just seems to always end up in Washington. Yep. <laughs> and it's not just the me. It's, it's pretty consistent. And he is, I think, and I always look at the Wizards expecting Bill is going to be there. And I think he it's a good, is. It's a good call, I think. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he has a no trade clause, right? So um, yeah, I think Kaysen will probably be one of the, maybe the best fit because he provides the defense. He's comfortable playing off the ball, which is, is a role that he's playing at Kentucky right now. Um, good shooter. His game isn't really flashy. It's not like the sexiest game. But you have to factor in this Kentucky bump. I mean, you look at Maxi, you look at Hero, um, and those are just the guards. Uh, Gilgis Alexander, these guys have all outplayed their their draft position. So I think there is a chance that he's really sacrificing playing at, at Kentucky. Kentucky does have an offense that's a little bit outdated, in my opinion. Not much shooting around him either. <laughs> yeah. So I think he would be a good fit. Um, I think he's probably if not the best, one of the top three like defenders, like mm-hmm. wing defenders, guard defenders in this class. And then Anthony Black is like the epitome of like versatility. Like I think you can play him some at the as the primary ball handler. I think if he's in Washington, if you have another point guard, you can play him some at the three. But there are some similarities. People may think I'm crazy, but there are some similarities to Abdia, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Because I believe that Avdia was basically he's not playing the way that he played at Maccabi Tel Aviv when they drafted him. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to see a little bit of it now. 
But I, I do think that if Anthony Black is just kind of in the corner shooting threes and he right. doesn't have ball handling duties, then you're not get, you're not maximizing his talent, which I feel that's what's going on with Denny. The Wizards have had kind of a recent track record, at the very least, of kind of shoehorning guys into roles that don't really fit their particular skill sets. And you just mentioned that with with Avdia and Troy Brown before that. And like, there's been a whole bunch of guys where it's like, all right, you're now a three and D wing and they don't really have the, I don't know, the shooting to do that. And they have other kind of creation abilities that don't get utilized. And I, I worry about that with people like an Anthony Black and, you know, they were apparently really high on Dyson Daniels last year. And Daniels is yeah. more of an off ball guy to me, I think, than somebody like Anthony Black is. But yeah, uh, Keontae George also worries me for the same reason. We heard that, you know, when they drafted Jordan Davis, they said that this is our, or sorry, when they drafted Johnny Davis, this was our point guard of the future. I worry that they'll try to make like a Keontae George, that guy, like right out of the gate. And I, I, I've seen some really good passes. I, I just worry yeah. if he could like run an offense for somebody, at least from day one. Yeah. I mean, I think the Wizards are always in like this weird situation because they're not rebuilding, but they have a franchise mm-hmm. cornerstone. And for years, they had two. So you had to find the pieces that fit around them. But mm-hmm. conventional draft wisdom says take the best player available, yeah. which I, I have a theory behind it, which I got <laughs> so ridiculed on, on Twitter about a few weeks ago. I'm like, it, if Even if you take the best player available and you don't put him in the best position to succeed, then nobody wins right they're they're not really the best player available if you don't get the most out of them (laughs) yeah so i i I did think the johnny davis fit was weird because i feel like his best position is a two i didn't see any point guard in him and i mean obviously bill loves being there so maybe he does feel like or maybe the team feel like okay we have the timeline to where we can develop him but at some point i think brad wants to to win some it would be nice. <laughs> but, I think we would want that too at some point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but if I had to choose the best overall fit, I'd say it's Casey Wallace. I, I wondered early in the year about his ability to play kind of the primary initiator role. And, and that was just because he wasn't able to next to severe Wheeler. Now that they've put Wheeler on the bench a little bit more and, let Wallace kind of be the primary guy. I haven't watched as much Kentucky. Have you seen him kind of flourish in that sort of lead guard role, or is he still kind of best suited to be a little bit more off ball? Well, I think you have to kind of pay attention to like his high school stuff in AU mm-hmm. as opposed to what's at Kentucky. And what's interesting is um, I'm a Blazers fan, right? So one day I was in Miami and I ran into Bam out of bio at the gym. Mm-hmm. So I go up to him and I say, Hey, I'm a Blazers fan. What in the world made Portland take Zach Collins over you? And his exact words to me were, they didn't pay attention to my high school film. Mm. He says, high school will show you what a player is capable of. College shows you that they can play a role. And he said, not everybody's high school film is going to translate, but for for certain guys that are kind of boxed in in college, if you look at their high school film, you can say, okay, this guy can do this that we don't see. So he basically told me that teams didn't do their homework. He could pass, he could dribble a little bit, but everybody just saw him as like this dunker spot guy, rebounder mm. at, at Kentucky. And so with, 
I mean, even like Gilgis Alexander, we didn't see <laughs> we didn't see yeah, offensive right? creativity at Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, we definitely didn't see Devin Booker being who he is. And so with Kaysen, I think if you watch like his high school film, you see that he is really comfortable as the primary. He's, he's again, not the sexiest guy. He's not going to throw a bunch of no-look passes, sure. but he can run an offense. He can make the right plays. He's going to defend, and he's going to make good decisions, and he's a winner. And that's the thing that Calipari mentioned with with Kaysen. I want to say, but like between his junior year from the two high, his junior and senior year of high school and his AU, he might only lost like five or six games in like a two year span. So he's he's he plays winning basketball, and I think that's what the Wizards want and need. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, yeah, he, he's willed them to a couple games, especially recently. Um, I forget who they played the other night. I watched part of it, and I'm already blanking. But he like, like Mississippi, Ole Miss, maybe. Yeah, like he no, I actually, think they lost to Ole Miss, Florida. They played Florida, Florida. That's right in the Florida game. Exactly. He like yeah. literally dragged their limp carcass across the finish line. It felt like, <laughs> and uh, you know, you need those kind of guys. Wizards fans, I think, early on saw the Anthony Black sort of um, explosion uh, out in Maui, and yeah. he was like dunking on people and throwing like no look cross court passes, and it was like, wow, okay, this is this is the guy we need. And I feel like that kind of player archetype is like blown up recently with the Giddies and the Daniels and the yeah, um, you know, Scotty Barnes's is kind of in that similar mold, I, I guess. Really, but he's more of a forward, I guess, than straight up guard. But anyway, um, but now I think that. Blacks kind of come back down to earth. I, this is why I like implore people to pay attention to the context of their college team. Like Black is another one where there's literally no shooting yeah. on that team whatsoever. And this is a guy that needs space to operate for what he does. And people can just sag off him because he's not like a knockdown shooter at this point. Uh, so uh, can you talk a little bit about like what what you see Black being longer term and and you know maybe why it's worth not paying attention to just like the raw numbers from the last couple of weeks? Well, he actually surprised me. I thought that he was going to be a guy that kind of stuffs the stat sheet but doesn't score a double figure. So if you would have told me he averaged 9, 5, and 5 or 9, 5, and 4, I wouldn't have been surprised because if the Arkansas team is healthy, they have Nick Smith, who was arguably the top guard in the class um, as far as like McDonald's All-American. Mm. And then um, you had a Trevon Brazil who was having a really good year before he got hurt. You had Ricky Council. So I thought he was going to be more so of a connective tissue. But because of the injuries, he's kind of been forced a little bit out of his comfort zone, which I think has been good for his development because in high school, he was never much of a scorer. And I mean, he could score, but I mean, he could like dominate a game scoring just because he was more bigger mm -hmm. he's bigger stronger more talented than some of the guys and he could fall into 15 points sure. but he was never like that aggressive guy that was coming out to you know to to dominate you with score and he played on like a really really talented team but this year especially in Maui he's impressed me that in some games that when he that he can step up yeah. but the biggest surprise to me has been how well he gets to the free throw line that was that's mm -hmm really been surprising for me so so it shows a level of being aggressive and assertive and trying to get downhill the shooting was a bit concerned he's actually shooting a little bit better than i thought yeah. um i haven't it, seen the numbers in the whole it looks while. respectable though like i don't see yeah. that and think broken jump shot at all dude. yeah no i didn't see broken but he was just such a reluctant shooter mm -hmm. and 
if you watch the, the games before Maui, I mean, he was passing was rough. Yeah. shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was turning the ball over. And I was actually kind of like lower on him than the consensus. Mm-hmm. And then Maui kind of made me say, you know what, maybe I was wrong. And then I think he's somewhere in the middle now mm-hmm. between Maui and then my preseason expectations. You mentioned the other uh, Arkansas guard there and it's former Bradley Beal elite member, Nick Smith Jr. Yep. I guess, one, are we going to see him again at all this year? And, and two, how does a team evaluate someone like that when they have three college games where he was sort of limited and just high school tape? Like, do you think this helps his stock not playing again the rest of this year? Does it kill him? Like, where does he end up, I guess? That's the big question, man, because we've seen like Darius Garland play mm-hmm. three games, three like non-conference games. Yeah. I don't, well, it wasn't three games, but it was non-conference games. He ends up going high, right? Mm-hmm. But then I had someone argue with me that saying Bo Bo only fell to the second round because he got hurt. And I'm like, well, no, Darius Garland was in the same draft. Yeah. Obviously, there's more stuff for mm-hmm. the reason why both uh, Bo Bo fell. But then you look at... James Wiseman, totally different positions. Yeah. He was highly regarded coming into the season, to that season at Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think he played two or three non-conference three. games. Yeah. And then he had one game against Oregon where it's like a half. Yep. But he was able to ride that high school hype into the second pick. Mm-hmm. And now it's looking like a mistake. He's still young. Sure. But then I'm thinking like, all right, if Derek Lively did the same thing, he'd probably be on board yeah. as a top 10 pick. So I think in Nick Smith's case, I think the the pre-draft hype, I think it's going to carry him into a top 10 pick regardless. Mm. And I think he's going to be fine. I mean, he played five games, but you can really say only three. One of them was like he got in at the last, you know, at the end of a game. And then I think he got hurt in the other show. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to end up being a top 10 pick. That's actually how I have the Wizards taking him the last mock that I did. But I do think that is the best fit for Washington, just period. Outside of Scoot and Wimbayama, I sure. think that is the best fit. You have the mentorship aspect. You have the relationship. I think he can play on the ball, off the ball. I don't know if he's really 6'5". Like, yeah, looks a little 6'3"-ish from, from what yeah. I've seen so far. But I think if he puts it all together, he has excellent touch. I do think the relationship with him and Bill goes a long way, and that could that could really be beneficial to Washington. From what I've seen, and I watched the, I want to say, five European tour games before he actually got hurt on that trip, and it was weird competition to kind of evaluate him against. But I mean, I, I was like all in on the guy, and yep. I actually buy his ability to be a point guard like full-time more than I do somebody like a Keontae George at the very least. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, it's fair. I think at this point we're all just kind of guessing and just going by our gut feeling. Sure. Um, but I did ha- hear someone say that, that they felt like he missed Khalil Ware a lot in high school. Mm, okay. And, and that uh, when people talk about Ware, one of the knocks on him is his motor's inconsistent and someone this is just their opinion, but they said, well, maybe his motor was inconsistent in high school because yep. um, Nick Smith was doing all the scoring. He right. wasn't. You got to reward the big man sometimes. Yeah, especially when he had physical advantages, like yep. extreme physical advantages on the high school level. So I kind of 
kept that in the back of my mind. Um, but I do think that there are some flashes that he can play point. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a weird situation in Washington in a sense because it's not your rebuilding team where you're going to allow guys to just go out there and just make a play bunch of mistakes. All, um, so, uh, but I, I like the fit there personally. Uh, one of the few guys I've actually gotten to see in person this year because I just haven't been out to as many games is Jairus Walker. And he's somebody that I didn't really have a high opinion of just kind of seeing mm-hmm. some high school games coming into the year because it was just, I don't know, he was more physically imposing than everybody he played and he was on a good team. Yeah. And then I watched this game and I'm like, wow, okay, he's bigger than I thought. He's probably more mobile laterally than I thought. And he's got better touch than I thought. So I, yeah. I've kind of come around on him. And he's a name that uh, when I tweeted this out earlier today to talk about draft stuff, like a, a lot of people in our fan base seem to resonate with. I guess, where are you on Walker? And could you see him being a good fit next to somebody like Chris Tapps Porzingis? That's interesting. So this summer, I I watched all of his high school tape and I was blown away. I actually mm-hmm. was really high on him. Okay. But it was more so as a passer because he has such a unique yeah. game. And... um but then I saw him play live. It was actually against St. Mary's, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And he just wasn't impressive. But it was early in the season. It looked like he was trying to find out his role. Sure. And one of the consistent thing I heard from scouts was the only way you're going to really see what Jairus Walker can do is if you attend practice. Or a practice. Because yeah. they're like, in practice, he's actually getting able – he's able to play a little bit more freely. But mm-hmm. now – Everything that they were telling me in the beginning of the season that they were seeing in practices were actually seeing in games. He's a little bit more assertive. I'm not 100% sold on the touch, but he's shooting 42% from three right now. I want to say it's like 63% from the foul line. So I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's as good a shooter as the numbers indicate. It's still a decent amount of attempts per game, but... As far as the fit next to Porzingis, it's not something I, I really thought of, but I think it makes sense because he's your physical presence. I think he's a much better passer than we've been able to see. Like, that's what the high school tape showed me. He can find cutters. He can pass from, from the elbows, a high-low passer. You can get creative and run, like, four or five pick and rolls or yep. five, four pick and rolls, like, who's ever the four and a five. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I actually like that fit because – He's a guy that can do the dirty work for Porzingis. You know, he's just not wired to do the dirty work and do the physical pounding. But then you have two good shot blockers, yep. a physical rim protector, and then you just have to respect Porzingis's length. So actually, I think that's a, a really good, really good fit there. That's one I've been kind of like tinkering with a little bit. So I'm glad to bounce it off you because in, in that game I went and watched, he one, he was like drilling threes in mm-hmm. uh shoot around before the game. And I was like, oh, okay. Like if he can do this. And then once the game started, he clanked a couple, but it's like, all right, at least I've seen he can make, make them. And they look pretty, pretty solid. But Wait, which thing, game is it that you saw? Uh, it was the veterans oh. classic against Navy um, uh, in, in, at the Naval Academy. And I'm now blanking okay. on who they played against because it was a total beatdown. down. Um, <laughs> I'll have to go look. Um, but it, it was also pretty early in the season, but yeah. he didn't have like a particularly great game. I think he finished with like nine points and six rebounds, mm-hmm. but just seeing him before the game, I, I think was like kind of more impressive to me than, than actually getting to play. And part of that's just, they've got so many different dudes too, that they don't really need him to do a whole lot. And it was a game they 
ended up winning by like 30, but uh, it's like he's he's made this transition. It was like he started off like blending in, being like their glue guy, mm-hmm. and then something has switched as he's gotten more comfortable. Now, I mean, he was always the top prospect on the team, but now it looks like you can make a case and say it's, it's his team more than yeah. Sasser's team. Yeah, which I would not have expected earlier in the year. I, di- I didn't know he had kind of all that. And the Wizards have been one of the, like the slower paced teams in the league. But one thing they've been good about is they're like willing to let whoever gets the rebound kind of push the ball. And um, yeah. I think Walker could do that to some extent. Like oh, yeah, I, I could see him like be a grab and go guy and, and that would be big for them. Yeah, I think that's maximizing his talent and his mm-hmm. gifts because he is the guy that can get the rebound and and find like the the transition spot up shooters or you know the big streaking down the floor and then you know you can give him the ball and run like DHOs and stuff like that. You can get really really creative. I don't know how Wizards fans feel about the the creativity of the offense, but I think he gives you a weapon to where you could you know you have some options there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't think we think there's much of an offense at this point, which is unfortunate. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. But uh, so my own personal draft philosophy is that when in doubt, always take the wing. Uh, I think they're like the hardest position to get in free agency because if you have a good one, you almost never want to let them go. And the only way to really get good ones is to kind of draft them yourselves. Whereas like you can always get like a decent backup center or something if you needed to like, and I'm not saying like with like the first couple of picks, but if you're like, 10 or 11, if I, all things being equal between two guys, I, I would go with the wing. And it's honestly just a position that the Wizards have needed for a long time anyway. Like a real, here is a legitimate three and D wing, not like a four. We're trying to like make a, a three and yeah, uh, three names that kind of stuck out in this sort of late lottery ish range. Maybe it's a reach for a couple of them. You'll have to tell me if, if any of these guys are actually real lottery targets or not, but got Jet Howard. Maxwell Lewis and Grady Dick, all three guys have the three part down, I think, for the most part. Um, none of the three of them really seem to have the D part down mm-hmm. completely yeah. yet. Like, actually, Grady Dick might be the best defender of the three of them right now, which I don't know I would have predicted early in the year. But uh, do you see those guys having real shots at going in the lottery? And do you think any of the three of them will kind of put it all together, I guess, and be two way players? I think. Lewis has the tools, but you can make a case and say he's the worst defender of yeah, the three. I think I probably would. Which yeah, is but he has the yeah he has the physical tools. Uh, Howard does have he has the strength. Um, I don't know about just the footwork to defend mm-hmm. quicker guys. And then he's my knock on him is that he just doesn't rebound. Right, he just shoots. That's literally all he seems to do for anybody. yeah. So it's weird to me to find a guy that has the mindset to be a great defender but doesn't want to mix it up. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't put him as a as a guy that I think could be a really impactful defender. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, like Grady Dick has the length. 
And uh, well, he has the size. He has good positional size. And he seems to be the best right now. But I'd say if Maxwell Lewis puts it together, I think his physical tools could make him serviceable. You'll see Lewis get like torched for most of a game. And then all of a sudden he'll have like a chase down block or something. That's all he wants. I think that's like his his thing. Like, okay, I'm going to let guys go by me so I can get chase down blocks, which you you can't really do that in the NBA because unless you have. Wimbayama behind you, then maybe you can gamble. <laughs> Funnel everybody that. toward the big guy. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm with you though. So, but at least you've seen enough flashes there of like high end athleticism and length that maybe you could convince yourself that he can do it at some point. But to me, it's like the Wizards have this thing where they're really into guys from one winning programs and two guys that were like highly productive at the college level. And mm-hmm. if they can't shoot or something like that, they think so be it. We can teach that. Uh, to me, it is a little concerning that Pepperdine is so bad with like three guys that could realistically play, if not yeah. in the NBA, at least at a high level at the G League uh, yeah. or something like that. So would that scare you off if you were running a front office on somebody like Lewis that they just, they're like awful? Yeah, it makes, I mean, it's it's a really valid point and it makes sense to be scared off a little bit. Um because somebody had mentioned that to me today. I just like the talent. I like what what he brings to the table. And I guess you have to have confidence in your developmental staff and in your front office and your coaching staff that maybe they can help bring you know certain habits out of him. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure Houston feels the same way about about you know what, what they have. Yeah. Um but I would gamble on the talent. I definitely would gamble on the talent. I, I know that was a knock that I had against Anthony Edwards because mm-hmm. he didn't yeah. he didn't win at Georgia. Sure. Um, I think his AU program was below five hundred, but he didn't play like on EYBL or Under Armour or anything like that. And I kind of held it against him as something to be really really concerned about. But I mean, he made the playoffs in his second year. And Minnesota is playing well now with, I mean, they're the playoff team. I mean, the West is so crazy, but they're a playoff team right now with him as, as their guy. So, um, so I'm not going to hold it too much against him, but then again, it's kind of contradictory because I definitely hold it against Imani Bates. So um, yes, it's definitely contradictory on my part. That's okay. You get to pick and choose all this is personal preference at the end of the day, right? Yep. Uh, so you mentioned that you had a mock draft come out today. I full disclosure, I have not seen today's. Uh... It was the second round. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. is Amani Bates somewhere in the second round? On yeah, on that. Okay. Yeah, I have him at fifty, fifty three, and it's just a combination of my personal opinions and talking to different scouts. Mm-hmm. Nobody has denied the talent. Everybody's sure. just concerned with fit, and he's been at his best when he's been in a situation where nobody holds him accountable for playing defense, passing. And I mean, he's talented. And I mean, everybody's just so torn. Like when I talked to people last week, some some had him in the late 20s and some had him like as a two-way guy. Wow. <laughs> so it's a pretty big it's range. All of, what's that? That's a pretty big range. It's the the widest range I've ever seen. Yeah. Like it's like a 30, almost like a 30 spot range in a mm-hmm. sense. Uh, and obviously the scouts may have a little bit more intel than than I have. Some of it is 
off the court stuff. Some of it is not really him off the court, but it's like the people mm-hmm. around him. Some believe that he went to Eastern Michigan just so he could just get all his shots up and try to not necessarily improve his draft stock, but to show people that he is still the same player that he was worth all the hype surrounding it. And some scouts are like, if that's his motive, like how is he going to fit into an NBA team? He's, it was a selfish move as some would say. And then some people are like the kid just turned 19 years old and is it his fault that the spotlight was shined on him so early as a 15-year-old on the cover of Sports Illustrated? They said he was going to be the number one pick. They called Next him Kevin, Kevin Durant. Durant. Yeah. And so it's almost like, is it fair that he was so good at such a young age that now everybody's just picking flaws? So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him on draft night. But what's giving me... Uh, or it's making me think twice is what if he's a six nine Cam Thomas? And we've seen yeah. what Cam Thomas has done the last <laughs> two games. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So Cam doesn't pass. And actually he had a game where he had five assists. <laughs> like I want to say like the 44 point game. That must be like the home arena where like the scorekeeper is like very loose about <laughs> what counts as an assist. Yeah. Um, so I think. It's, it's going to be more so not based off his talent, but can he play a role? Is he going to be fine? I mean, we've seen different college players that were really good scorers on the college level, and they struggled in a reduced role. So, But Imani's going to be, I mean, I think he's going to be the most polarizing story around draft time. It, it makes me feel better because he's a guy I have no sense for whatsoever. I, I feel like if I write him off, he'll be the, he'll like turn into the next Michael Porter Jr. or something, but... It, it weirds me out to watch him play because he takes the same shots in every game, whether he has 10 points or 30 points, and they're always tough. And if you're six foot nine, why are all your shots that tough all the time? Sometimes they just go in and he ends up with 30 and it's like, okay, I mean, like, how do you deny that? So it'll be interesting to see if he can still make the same kind of tough shot diet against NBA defenders. That would scare me a little. Yeah, he's a guy that... I mean, I'm just so conflicted internally because I love irrational confidence guys. Yeah, I, I love either. guys that are just just extremely confident in their abilities. And that's yeah. exactly who he is. Like, all right, I've missed five shots in a row, but I'm going to sidestep, step back, <laughs> fade away. Yeah. And he, if I think he's in a situation where even when he has an off night, he's going to get enough shots where he can catch a rhythm and hit four or five in a row. But I mean, the negative assist to turnover ratio, the, the the losing, I mean, it's so many questions about him. And that's why some scouts felt like, all right, if you draft him, send him to the G league and see how he handles that. But then the flip side of that is there's a lot of scoring in the G league. And then that's not going to help him prepare for his role in the NBA because Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I worked in the G League, and I remember seeing guys that were just scoring a ton of points, and they would be there all season long until, like, April when teams are are, are tanking. And they're like, okay, well, let's give this guy a call-up. But then it's the guy that his G League role was the same role that he would play in the NBA, and he ends up sticking. So, like I said, Amani's going to be interesting how the situation turns out. He's definitely exciting when he's on, and 
I don't know, maybe kind of the anti Amani Bates to me. And this is a player that's like not the sexiest watch. He's kind of boring, but it's like very meat and potatoes. Um, but I think it's like underrated personally. And I didn't love the brother, but I'm really in on Ke- on Chris Murray. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I keep seeing him like late 20s a lot of places. And um, I, I don't understand why that is personally. Can you kind of help me level set like where you are with Chris Murray and, and why maybe other people are are lower on him than I am? Another guy that just makes you conflicted in your whole evaluation because it's like the numbers are extremely similar to his brother. Mm-hmm. And if he goes in the 20s, you're talking about a 15 to 25 spot differential mm-hmm. based off of one more year. Yes, he'll be 23 once the season starts. Mm-hmm. The game isn't flashy. Are we holding it against him because we've seen this movie before last year with his brother? Right. <laughs> but I think of it like, all right, let's say a team drafts him in the late 20s. I think they actually benefit in a sense because you're going to get him cheaper at a very discounted rate, ready to come in and contribute right away. It's not going to mm-hmm. be much of a learning curve. You're going to get him in the beginning stages of his prime on a rookie deal. Yeah. And so I think if you're a team that's competitive, you're going to be able to get a really, really productive player early that you know, you don't have to really spend a whole lot of time developing. But the game isn't really sexy. But I do think it's weird that one year <laughs> and pretty similar production could end up being a 15 to 20 to 25 spot rank or gap between him and his brother. I get that they're twins, but they're not the same person. And you hear some people say that maybe he's a little, I got a little less lateral quickness and things like that. I, I can't tell a noticeable difference know? between the two, you know, like. I only know because one is left-handed. So yeah, when I, right. was, I was at the Combine last year, they did a pro day, mm-hmm. both of them. And so, you know, like on pro days or, or like the beginning of any warm-up, guys are just doing layups and dunks. And I sat with a bunch of personnel and they're like, which is which? And yeah. we didn't know until they started shooting jump shots. And then it was like, okay, we had to go by the shoes, right? This, But if they would have worn <laughs> the same shoes. You wouldn't have been able to tell the whole night. You would have known unless they shot a jumper. Yeah. I think they're very similar. I think Chris may shoot a little bit more threes than, than Keegan. Seems like that, yeah. But, I mean, I felt like last year he had to because he was playing off of his brother. So I, I think that's the fact that, that Keegan's been really good and you could see them playing a similar role. That would be a guy that if I had to pick it like just outside the lottery or something, I would be... I would strongly consider, especially if I were a team, I'm not advocating for the Wizards to take him at eight or something, but a team that wants to kind of win right away, I think that's a guy that, like you said, could kind of plug in to a role almost from day one. Yeah, especially if you're the Wizards. And I try to think of it from different aspects. And I mean, if you're Tommy Shepard, who I've met Tommy a few times, really cool guy. Yep. And if you feel like your seating, your seat is getting hot, yep. right? Do you draft of, over the the best long-term prospect or do you draft a guy that's going to possibly help you get a contract extension to help your team make the playoffs next year? Yeah. And selfishly, you probably are going to do what's best to get your contract extension. <laughs> and so you don't have to move your family. This is just my personal I'm with opinion. And I would say it for any GM that, that is potentially on, on the hot seat. So somebody may draft them high because it could help them get another deal. Mm-hmm. 
And I yeah. think a coach would probably so. say, I would take, I mean, I've seen his brother. His brother's playing well on the team. That's the third seed in the West. I, I would take him over a Dylan Mitchell who by the time he develops, I might not even be around. So yeah, I'll be on his next team by the time he's good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's a great point. And, and that's one of those things I, I kind of wonder about too. And I actually thought it might lead to a movement where guys started like GM started taking older guys because how you know contracts are so short and things like that. Like it almost makes sense to have someone that you get, you know, maximum value of out of that first cheap four years. So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Another guy I really liked this year was Trayvon Brazil at Arkansas before the injury. Do you think he comes out this year or do you think he'll try to go back for another year? Yeah, I was trying to get some intel on that last week. And the person that I was talking to didn't know. I mean, mm -hmm. they said that the only thing that they've heard about is they're trying to get the knee as healthy as possible. Um, so I don't know if the plan is – I mean, obviously you want it to get healthy, but I don't know if the no plan what. is to try to get yeah. it healthy for workouts or whatever. So – I don't know. I mean, it's it's a wild card because on one hand, I thought that he was trending in the right direction, but on the other hand, it's like, all right, there's a team maybe in the second round. I guess it makes sense. A team could draft him in the second round, and then potentially feel like, hey, we got first round talent as a second round pick, and um, you know, be patient with him. But we'll see. I mean, I, I, if I had to bet, I'd say he at least test the waters and see what the feedback is. He just seems to me like a guy that would destroy workouts and on some GM somewhere would be blown away by something like that because you can't yeah. uh, find many guys that are that athletic at least. Yep. At that size. And I actually, I wasn't really familiar with him until early last summer. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, there's this kid in Missouri, watch his film. He didn't play a lot, but every game he makes a wild play that you think that he could you know, end up being somebody later on. And so I saw it and then I had him on my list of guys that I thought was going to, to take off. But he was, I mean, I had him as a first rounder before he got hurt. Yeah. And I don't blame you. It seemed like a slam dunk to me. Yeah. If a guy's that athletic and he can shoot it, um, you know, why not take him at 25 or something? Uh, last guy specifically, I want to ask you about here. Uh, this is a guy I've been high on only because a friend of mine that coaches a Juco told me about him over the summer, and I finally watched some tape in the fall, but it's Naquan Tomlin out of Kansas State. Have you heard any chatter about him? Like, I don't see him on boards anywhere, but mm -hmm. this is a guy that every time I watch him, I'm like, holy shit, like, I would take him also in that kind of late 20s-ish range almost, like, because you figure he's so late to playing competitive basketball um, that this is like real time him learning how to play at a high level on the fly. If you give him another two years, to me, that just seems like a guy that could take a big jump. Shameless plug, but I put him on my <laughs> on my mock draft that came out today. I had him at 56. Okay, I like that. So I, I do have him on my board. He's 22, so he's a little older, right. but he's raw. I think he's only has like four years. He, of, he didn't even play high school basketball, which is yeah, wild. Yeah, four years of organized experience. Only thing I can think of is similar is, and, it's actually, and I know it because it's a friend of mine, but Dwayne Dedman for... <laughs> Well, he just got traded to San Antonio, but he didn't play high school either. His first time playing organized basketball was um, in junior college. And I remember when some friends of mine signed him as a client, I was like, this dude is terrible. <laughs> but every 
every year he got a little better. He struggled with catching, and I knew he could shoot because I would see him in Dallas during the summertime working on a shot. But he went from like G League guy. He was part of the process, you know, one of those guys that was, and he's turned into a decent career. I mean, he signed a forty million dollar deal with with Sacramento, so he's made, you know, maybe fifty, sixty million dollars as a late bloomer. And it's interesting because he's been playing in the NBA longer than he's been playing basketball total yeah total which is really weird and i think tomlin is more naturally talented so too and he he moves well he's athletic there are times where you watch him and you're like wow and then there's times where you're like okay he's still he's yeah, there's still some work raw. to do here like, yeah. they'll pick up his dribble but yeah i think that someone's going to take a chance on him but again it's so weird because in any other prospect, 22 years old, you're 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 counting it against him. Yep. And in this case, you're like, okay, yeah, he's 22, but he's extremely raw. There's there's still some upside there. To a- answer this question for me: Do you think he just moves or has the potential to be like a Christian Wood? That was my not necessarily comparison, but I saw like the way he moves. You know, the thin frame mm-hmm. and not necessarily like a wing, but mobile and agile enough to where he has a little bit of wing skills, but it's like a four or five hybrid. I've heard him refer to himself as a guard. So I, I think he thinks <laughs> well, he's from he New York. So, you know, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's probably like one of the better comps I've heard for someone like him because he, he floats around like, you know, he's kind of got a little, six six seven ish like movement to him but um yep. you know he he could defend the rim legitimately i think um as like a 610 guy so i think that's a great comp i remember seeing something i think when he went to the first year prep school they listed him at six seven at the time so i guess he's kept growing since then or maybe they're over inflating the measurements a little bit here now but <laughs> he looks legitimately 610 ish yeah. next to these other big 12 guys so Anyway, it's a guy I'm just super interested in and, and never hear anything else about. So thank you for uh, adding a little, uh, you know, expertise there. No, nah, man, you you know your draft stuff. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it. you're and, I, and I'm not saying this because I'm on your show, but most people that have like an NBA team specific show know absolutely nothing about the draft. Right. And it turns into this whole thing I'm explaining Sure. But you know your stuff, man. You're you're definitely the the best when it comes to combining team stuff and draft. There's nobody better than I, and I'm dead serious about that. I appreciate that. I mean, it means a lot coming from you. I, it's just a thing I've always been interested in. So um, I don't know. When the Wizards are bad, it's nice to be able to follow college basketball a little bit more. So I think it's a it's a safe space from uh, you know our eventual playing spot. Uh, last couple things, and I promise I won't take your whole night. I know you got plenty to do. I just want to rapid fire a couple things here. We always hear as fans that the Wizards like really hold a lot of weight around this like famed conditioning test they put everybody through. And then you heard uh, Troy Brown Jr. The thing that set him apart was he drew the best play up of any of the prospects they worked out, and they value high character guys. Like, do you hear other chatter around the league and like other front offices and stuff about like? Do other teams value that stuff as highly as the Wizards seem to? Like for me, if I were drafting somebody, if a guy was super productive as a college player and he was in poor shape, I would think, oh, wow, imagine what I could do if I got him into good shape. To me, that's easier to fix than this guy can't shoot. 
The Wizards are so worried about what shape a guy comes in, but they're not worried about if he could shoot the ball. It just seems like a very backwards approach to me. So I, I don't know. Is, are they alone in that kind of like the way they look at things? No, I think everybody has their own weird philosophy. I mean, I, I get theirs because it's like, this is the biggest job interview of your life. Why are you not in shape? Sure. That's <laughs> and right. then I also... I mean, I guess you have to value character guys and correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think because of the, yes. that era, mm-hmm. you know, the JaVale McGee, Nick 100%. Young era, that that is, so you, you believe that's the reason why I, I think it has to do with bad guys, but I mean, I, I remember they're, speaking they're to somebody, goofballs. Yeah, I, mean. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to a player specifically on that team and his exact words were, I came from this organization. It was like very structured. So I get traded and he's like, they're wrestling on the floor (laughs) in the locker room after a game. And then uh, I forgot the name was park club park or something like that uh, in DC. Um, There were a couple that some of these guys are are famous for frequenting. Everybody talks about Rose bar and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think that's probably part of the reason why I felt like the wizards, kind of got a bad reputation with the whole arenas and Crittenton thing. So you're kind of forced to make sure like that doesn't happen again. And then maybe you overvalue high character and and you're placing that higher than talent. You know, everybody kind of has their, their different reasons. Sometimes they're legitimate and very specific. Um, But, you know, like Miami, I hear they have like crazy tests. I've heard whatever, Anybody that comes from that Pat Riley tree is mm. going to have something really, really crazy as far as like the test. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've just heard, I've heard situations where guys didn't really like compete. They just ran the whole time. And it's like a mental thing to see how strong you are mentally. I mean, that stuff really intrigues me of like everybody's philosophy and how it actually translates. So I I love hearing stories like that. Yeah, I'm I'm always in the same boat there. And like I remember Larry talking about there was a particular place he worked out that he didn't really want to go to. So he maybe had not his best workout, let's just say. Um, So like I think that kind of stuff happens and there's always some, you know, there's some chess moves going on behind the scenes. So it's interesting to see like, if, if a team is really scared off by that or not. And and if agents know like, hey, these guys put more of a premium on conditioning. So maybe if you look a little more out of breath than normal, they won't draft you. Like it just, I'm curious like how much intel they have on what the team values, um, you know, yeah. going into this stuff. But it also like makes sense from a logistic standpoint, right? So if you just worked out for the Clippers on Monday, you don't want the Wizards on Wednesday if they're going to run you yeah. because you just want fresh legs traveled. to go into it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that really was interesting to me the last couple of years as I learned more about it is that the agent has to be really specific on the logistics part, making mm-hmm. sure I, you know, try to get all your workouts in on the East Coast around the same time. So your guy isn't crisscrossing. And then also just looking at who he's going to be working out against. And so I had a player actually tell me about, he thought his agent did a bad job in setting up the workouts because he was, he was a good athlete, but do you remember Hassan Adams from Arizona? Mm -hmm. Yep. He said he was matched up against Hassan Adams in every workout. 
Okay. And then he said another guy that was in their workouts was a really good shooter. So he's like, Hassan is touching the top of the backboard, and this other guy is making 40 out of 53s. And he was like, what do I, I don't do? look good yeah. in any of those workouts. But then I also heard a an agent tell me that his his player was not a lottery player, but mm-hmm. he got him in the lottery because he always matched him up against a prospect that was really immature. Interesting. So he said that his player would come 30 minutes early, was really polished and would interview well. Well, the yeah. other guy was immature, was coming late, was uh, basically didn't have structure. So let's say he got to D.C. on Monday night for a Tuesday interview. He may have went out because yeah. not. And, and so showing so him the guy over to the like, interview is a bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the guy was like, and I won't mention the names. He was saying that it's kind of like a win for him as an agent because he got his guy in the lottery, even though this immature player was way more talented. And I think his player was like a junior or a senior. The more talented player was a freshman. And then the the guy that was immature, he kind of bounced around a little bit. But mm-hmm. then once he figured it out, he made a gazillion more dollars. <laughs> but the agent was like specifically based off of knowing who he was going against, knowing the background of the teams and what they like and always matching my mature client against this immature guy, he shot up the board. That's so much going on behind the scenes that I don't think any of us really would just think about right off the bat. So that's incredible insight. And it makes a lot of sense. Like if you're an agent, you know, you're making a lot more money to do that extra homework. So, and, yeah. and as many of them have relationships with these front offices, they probably get to know what they value and and what they're looking for and, and can kind of work that to their favor. Yeah. And actually the guy that I think is going to really thrive in the workouts is Bryce Sensiball, right? Because mm-hmm. he's a good enough shooter to mm-hmm. where you put him with, you know, a Grady Dick or a Jet Howard, he's going to be able to match them shot for shot and shooting drills. Yep. But he's so strong that you know, in the one-on-one or two-on-two, he's going to be able to physically overpower wings and get around bigs. And so I wonder, is he the guy that agents are going to start ducking in the process? Because you're you're, you're not going to look good yep. in that situation. So he's someone that I think is going to shoot up the ranks because he has a, you know, the size, the strength, the shooting to be able to really thrive in these workouts. And if you're an agent and your guy is a three and D guy and since ball destroys him, you know, yeah, he kills your stock. Yeah. He kills your stock. So mm-hmm. that's the part about the draft and behind the scenes stuff that I really, really enjoy hearing about. Yeah. Same. That's very cool. Uh, anything else you've heard just through the grapevine about what the wizards tend to value in a prospect? Like they've talked for years since Tommy Shepard took over about like, they need more length on the perimeter. They want more shooting. And then I wouldn't say any of the guys that they drafted are particularly long, athletic, or shoot particularly well. And then they've said that they can, they don't care if you can't shoot because they work on shooting. So I, I think as fans, we just kind of don't really know what they're actually looking for. Any, any sense there? No, because you can't look at their past drafts and see like some type of consistency. Yeah. So, um, the guy in Orlando, right? He had a history of drafting just like long armed. Yeah. Every and, big forward and, ever. <laughs> yeah, and valuing length. Um, 
So, yeah, you don't really have a track record because Johnny Davis is totally different than Corey Kispert. Avi is different than Kispert. But there's been some wins. Uh, well, I guess Gafford was the Bulls. Yeah. The Bulls drafted Gafford, right? But they still had um, to evaluate that he could do more here. So I give him like mild, mild yeah. credit for that. Yep. Um, Troy Brown was was an interesting one. I guess you could say Troy Brown and maybe Avdia. There's some similarities sure. there. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I can't say there's super consistent. A prototype guy there. Yeah. And that's why you have no idea what they're going to draft this year in the draft. Because to me, I didn't think Davis only made sense to me if Bill Bill was going to leave in free agency. You weren't super high on Johnny Davis, if I remember correctly, right? Like you had him in that general range that he went, right? Yeah, I was was torn, um, especially at the beginning of the year. Like he was putting up crazy numbers. But on one hand, it was like he's just playing harder than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I felt like his game, it was tough to evaluate him because, I mean, he was productive. He shot a lot of mid-range shots. I mean, he posted up. He was cutting. I mean, he was doing everything that you like. But then trying to figure out, does it translate? And then when he sprained his ankle, you're like, am I holding it against him? Because, you know, he's not 100%. And then for me, it was almost like, He's only going to thrive if he's really, really featured. I didn't think he was going to compliment Bill. But then now it's like you've seen him in the G League and you see these numbers in the G League. I mean, you still saw Ty Ty Washington at 53. You see Sharif Cooper's averaging like 26. Mm-hmm. And I would think Davis would average 25 points per game in the G League. But it's not happening. He looked really good, minus the first game where he just didn't make shots. He got good looks, but they just didn't go in. He looked really good for the first, like, 10 games, I would say. And he was, like, guarding the shit out of people. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. all right, okay, maybe we got something here. Uh, and now he looks weird and tentative, and there's all these freeze frames that even some of my buddies have been tweeting out where, like, his knees are bowed together, and he can't really make a shot anymore. Like, the shot looks different. Like, the the body positioning looks different. and uh i don't know what to make of him and when he has played nba minutes he looks terrified to do anything with the ball other than hot potato it back to someone guys like that don't just forget how to play basketball is this a confidence thing like what do you think's going on there yeah i think it's a i think it's a confidence thing um i think it started in summer league Mm -hmm. and it's it's weird because like these guys are just extremely confident, like have this irrational confidence. They can shake it off. Like Trey Young was bad in summer league. And I think what makes Trey Young good is he's kind of like a jerk, right? Yeah. <laughs> like he he has total belief in himself. He can miss 30 shots in a row. He wants to play the villain, you know, like he, that. that he's works still extremely confident. I yeah. think in Davis' situation – you can just tell that he's lost his confidence and that's, that's everything. But my, my advice, if I had to like give him some advice, I would um, reach out to JJ Reddick. And -hmm. I remember Reddick didn't play like his first two years. He was, I think he was a lottery pick, maybe Mm -hmm. 11 or something like that. Yeah. In that range. He was extremely hated coming out of school because, you know, he went to Duke. He fit the whole Duke villain guy. Mm -hmm. He didn't play. 
I mean, social media wasn't around then, but I'm sure if it was, everybody would have been like, ah, this guy is so crushed yeah. yeah. But he just worked and worked. And I remember when I worked in the G League, there was a guy that spent time in Orlando. And I think I must have made the comment like, yeah, I can't believe they drafted Reddick. He's he's a bust. And the guy says, no, he works so hard that it's going to even out. He's mm-hmm. going to be fine because even when he's not playing, he's just working, 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 working. And he mentioned a little bit of it, of his journey on the Knuckleheads podcast. I listened to that one. And, and the first person I thought of was Johnny Davis. Even mm-hmm. if you don't succeed, you know, as a rookie or year two, if you just put in the work and just continue to work on your on your shot, because that's the biggest knock is the outside shooting and playing a complimentary mm-hmm. role. I think he could be fine. I, I have not given up on him as at least being a reasonable role player because I think there's a position for him as just like a tough perimeter defender. And if you can like lock down some of these bigger G League scores, I think that reasonably translates to at least being a decent, you know, defender off the bench at the NBA level. And that's a huge mental transition from like projected go to sure. score to like physical defender but he has the tools to do it it's just right. a matter of can he transition and, and again like he came out of the gates and was like trying to strap people up and like okay like i like that now that the the shooting is cratered the defense already doesn't look as good which is why i think it's like either some amount of an injury we've heard some stuff about hip issues and maybe that's part of it but also just a kind of a, a, a mental thing there but i'm assuming it's a red shirt year and that at the very least we'll see I don't know, some amount of NBA minutes for him next year. Now, is uh-huh. there a guy that Wizards fans feel like they should have taken over? I mean, is uh, Hardy somebody because he's had some some big games? I think Jalen Williams is the one that sort of uh, um, yeah, that resonated sense. with everybody. Uh, I like. I have a tweet from December of last year, like, wow, this kid from Santa Clara is really good. Eh, I don't know how good, but I'd, I'd probably take him in the first round. I, I never thought he'd... Uh, end up, you know, lottery-ish um, the, the way he did, just because I, I didn't think people would value what he was doing at a place like Santa Clara as much. Yeah. But I mean- And he I, went to the combine. I think yeah. that was the thing. Nobody else went in that range. Yeah. He went, he played, and I was there. And not only did he score, but he wasn't like playing, like forcing his way to score. Mm-hmm. Everything came to him. And I remember an agent told me, he says, he's going to be a lottery pick. And I tweeted it. And it's probably like one that. of yep. my most retweeted tweets yep. because and it ended up happening. And now he's going to be first team all rookie. So, yeah, it, it makes it makes total sense for Wizards fans to be like, if we missed out on Jalen Williams. He, he's the guy. I mean, I think we're especially good at like, here are the guys that went after us. It's the, you know, we took Jan Vesely and it was the Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard draft. And I guess Flip Saunders really wanted Clay Thompson, but they overruled him like we we carry those things with us as a fan base more than any other fan base seems to, I think. So the we need Denny Avdia to at least be a solid starter for forever to try to survive the Tyrese Halliburton trauma there. So. You know, what's funny is I know Jan because I spent the year in Turkey mm-hmm. and Jan is a five. I remember when yeah. I, you know, of course, like when, you know, I get there and I see his name, I'm thinking like, oh, that was the, that dude was a bust, mm-hmm. right? And the more I watched him play, spent the whole season, his game fits the modern NBA now because he's, yeah, he's 10 years too early. <laughs> five. But it was like he was never a wing. I remember going back and looking at some of those draft, uh, you know, uh, notes, and they thought he was like 
a small forward. <laughs> I thought he was a three, four. He is a strict five. He can't dribble. He can't shoot. He's just an athletic lob threat. And Dimmer James Gist out of Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. So James played with um, Vesely the year he got drafted mm-hmm. and they had another big on the team who I'm blanking. That was like a big time college player. So they shoehorned in Vesely at the three and he was like, they were running offense through him. Like they were going to feature him. He was yeah. going to be the guy that got drafted out of that team. And they said, actually the year before he was much better. He played almost exclusively like the four and five. And like, he was like this rim running big and like they ran on everything. Uh, and they just said NBA teams didn't know what to do with him. It's exactly what you said. Like guys knew that playing with him, you know, years before he got drafted basically. And NBA teams just, you know, they saw this vision of a thing he, you know, couldn't really be. Well, I've spent some time in Europe and that is something that people in Europe are saying about Abdia. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm- he is... Not being utilized, like he's yeah. in the wrong spot. And I know, um, well, trust me, we hear a lot about that from all the Israeli fans and and just Denny fans in general. They're a very okay, active I, vocal I, group. I bet because uh, Quincy Ac is a friend of mine. And he played mm-hmm. with him in Maccabi, and you know, we we had a conversation, and people were just like, "Is this kid really good?" And he was extremely high yeah. on Optia. He's like, "No, he is as good as advertised." Mm-hmm. But you know, people. They are very vocal, especially in Europe. I didn't. Well, it makes sense that you know the Israeli fan base is commenting. But when I was yeah. when I was there last year, people were just like they have no idea what to do with him. And then there's some people that's just like he just needs to come back <laughs> because if he comes back, he'll he'll get a chance to handle the ball. I mean, I think we're starting to give him more of those responsibilities, and and he's showing that he can do more with that. I don't know that I see the same scalability that that all these other guys do, but you know, at least, at least give him a shot. It's not like we're doing much else this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen, I have, I can't say I watched a lot, but I thought he was a very flashy passer mm-hmm. in his, uh, especially at the, the under twenties a couple of years ago. And yep. I just haven't really seen, seen that. It's almost like he's not saying he doesn't have confidence, but he's playing to make sure that he can stay in the rotation. He's right. not playing with the same freedom. There's no flair there because if, you know, you throw a crazy pass and somebody doesn't catch it or goes in the 10th row, like you get yanked and yeah, uh, that's that's tough. I, I don't think the ball handling is as sharp as it needs to be overall. It really doesn't have a left hand. I think he got away with that a little bit more um, yeah. overseas than he seems to here. But that's something seemingly somebody could continue to improve on. And I think that would open up a lot of stuff for him. Yeah, a lot of straight line drives. Yep. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an adjustment, but. I think that he could have the ball in his hands a little bit more. But like you said, you're starting to see it some now. We all have our fingers crossed. Uh, all right. Last question and the most important one before I let you out of here. If people are already not subscribed to your work, where can they find it? Yeah, I'm at NBABigBoard.com. It's a newsletter that I took over um, a little less than a year ago for Chad Ford, who's like the you know, he's like the godfather of the whole <laughs> the OG draft yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's he's one of the pioneers. So yes, NBABigBoard.com. It is $7. No, it's $5 a month. Or you can pay $50 for, for the entire year. Um, I'm mixing in my own personal draft takes, but I'm also getting intel from different NBA executives, whether it's scouts or front office guys. And uh, it's just a unique blend of 
how I see it, but then also, you know, factoring what, what they're doing. And just basically it's, you're supporting like my, my work, just, you know, my draft coverage and allowing me to, to be able to give you intel from workouts and going to combines and this and that. So that's where you can find me at nbabigbird.com. And then I have a, a podcast that's five days a week covering the draft. It's the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. It's on the Locked On Network. As the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, I consider myself a draft junkie. So you are my go-to source for that stuff. And I appreciate the constant stream of content. So uh, thank you for keeping me entertained when I, I need to look away from the Wizards, at least for a little while. Uh, thank you for keeping me entertained on social media. <laughs> You're, yeah, like, and I've said it offline, but you have a great sense of humor if if it's like a dry sense of humor and like i see sometimes you tweet something and i get it but somebody just totally doesn't get it yeah. it goes over their head and i'm like you know <laughs> like relax it's just twitter <laughs> like <laughs> i appreciate it man. i'm glad somebody gets where i'm coming from oh no i totally get it because i feel like my sense of humor is the same but now i feel like i've gained these new followers and when I tweet something, they take only, it so seriously. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, I don't feel like arguing with people yeah. <laughs> because they take everything literally. So, but no, I, I definitely love hearing uh, your takes. And then, like I said, you're the only, and I'm being totally honest, the guy that Thank combines you. the best of team and draft stuff. So, um, yeah, you're one of the best in the business. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. The feeling is very mutual. Uh, everybody, like the man said, if you're not checking them out, NBA Big Board and a Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. And then if you want to go through the old archives, the NBA Draft Junkies stuff on, on you know former prospects and things like that are still really interesting to see what guys looked like pre-draft. I, I think it's nice to go back and and just see where guys came from to, to where they are now. And I yeah. think that's the things we get to do as much, you know, of like, all right, what did we miss the first time around? So it's cool to see kind of, you know, some yeah, of those I plan videos. I'm bringing it back. I, I'm trying to just figured out the time sure. but yeah i plan on bringing it back and just having different writers making it a platform for them so that's the goal nice man i love that awesome all right everybody you know the drill rate review subscribe all that good stuff uh we were presented by betonline.ag and we will catch you next time Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.